the sales team will talk to the business decision makers and, um, you know, the decision makers think that they're further along in the process and they'll say, yeah, yeah, we're, we're ready to buy. And then two weeks later, that business decision-making team has a conversation with their technical decision-makers and the technical decision-makers are like, no, no, we're not even done with the POC yet. <laughs> so the question becomes, well, how come we didn't have that conversation as a selling organization, right, ourselves? Like I get that on the customer side, they might have a disconnect. But on our side, you know, the rep will forecast that deal and we're still running with the POC, which we know will go well beyond the quarter close. This is Pre-Sales Heroes from Vivid, the world's first platform for pre-sales. Today, I'm talking to Marjorie Abdelkrim, Senior Director of Solution Engineering at VMware, and our topic is about her approach to unlocking the strategic potential of her pre-sales team. She discusses a lot of different dimensions of that, and particularly interesting to me is how she ensures that her team has a voice in the sales forecasts and is able to give a reality check if the sales rep is committing a deal that her team just isn't sure about. She has a whole process around this. Hi, I'm Greg Howard, and I'm talking to Marjorie Abdelkrim, Senior Director of Cloud Engineering at VMware. Are you in New York right now? I'm in New Jersey. It's it's a, a little gloomy today, um, but doing great. Thanks for joining us this morning. Our general topic is kind of unlocking strategic potential of pre-sales, and I'm really you know interested how you've done that in your your interesting journey, but. Uh, let's start out as we always do with your hero origin story because you you actually went into it, you went out of it, and then back into it. Yeah, yeah. So my my journey um, actually started in support. I started doing technical support for KPMG and dealt with a lot of uh, late night callers from our auditors during uh, tax season. But um, eventually moved into you know technical administration. I started actually managing an exchange infrastructure for Toys R Us. Uh, one of the best places to work. You do get to see some really fun, fun things uh, as you know, an employee of Toys R Us. But I, I actually got recruited to work for a, a small startup um, as a consultant because of some work that we were doing at Toys R Us with archiving. And uh, you know, at that time, I actually had no idea what being a consultant was. I was like, sure, I'll, I'll interview for this job. And um, I went to go work for a small company called KBS, which got bought by. Veritas and then Veritas merged with Symantec. And through that journey, uh, I had a multitude of roles within the consulting organization. But Symantec at one point decided to change strategy and direction as it relates to consulting. And I got put into this role called solution engineering, which quite frankly, you know, I, I really had no idea about. I'd never you know, I never really even interacted with the SC team as a consultant since it was fairly early on in my career. You know, I was just go do what I need to be, you know, doing. I was doing what I was told, fly here, fly there. And, um, you know, I get into this SC role and I'm being told, oh, you're going into sales. I'm like, what? No, I, I don't <laughs> want to go into sales. Um, you know, you, you always think of sales as a car salesman who, you know, gives you a hard time, puts you in a room, sits you there for hours on end by yourself, right? And, and makes you feel miserable. So, Unfortunately, I never had really such a positive experience with with selling. I remember a VP, as we were walking through our Mountain View campus at the time, he was like, Marjorie, this is going to be the best thing that happens for your career. And I looked at him with this, you know, just this look of like, I, I doubt that. But <laughs> I always reflect on that time and remember fondly, you know, that conversation, because I do agree that that was kind of the best thing that that happened to my career. 
So I started um, as a solution architect uh, for the SE team and very quickly moved into a management role for the SE organization. And from then on, you know, I kind of went back and forth between roles. I actually went back into professional services, uh, led an America's organization, had a ton of fun doing that. Um, went to go work for another startup as well, leading a professional services team. And, you know, it, services for those who have done it know it's a very difficult job. It's, it's, SE jobs are hard, but services jobs are even harder, right? You have to make sure that you're, you know, engaging your customer and, and understanding their requirements after they've bought, make sure that you're resetting expectations, all that fun jazz. And, <laughs> Then you're dealing, you know, at a leadership level, you're dealing with margins and utilization and travel time and all of these other, you know, complexities for resource management that I was just not no longer having fun doing. And, uh, you know, I reached out to a leader that I'd worked with in the past and said, you know, I'm ready to go back into sales. So what, what do you have? And he's like, well, I don't have a field facing role, but I have this other role that I'm creating. It's called the chief of staff role. And, um, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm just thinking about your PS background. And I've been working for a, a company that did customer success. And he's like, you know, in your customer success background now and, you know, your C background and kind of ties everything together. You can really help build some foundational strategy for us here at VMware. And I was like, eh, all right. I mean, what am I going to lose? Go and learn something new. But I said, but I, I only want to do this for a short amount of time. Like this shouldn't be my career. I don't want to be a chief of staff. I want to go back into the field because it's what I enjoy. I enjoy being in front of customers. I enjoy um, kind of solving customer problems and 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 really kind of changing the world through a customer's lens, right? And two two and a half years later, you know, a role came up to to lead an SE team again, and here I am back in the field. So, net of the story is, you know, being an SE you can do so many different things and it doesn't always have to just be an SE role. I think customer facing roles vary in, in experience and, and really the, just the, the energy that you get from meeting with customers, you can do so many different things. Well, I also feel like listening to you, just your openness to trying something different. Not everybody sees their career like that. And you've, you've been willing to take, I don't know if they're called risks, but certainly there's a, there's a willingness to explore. It seems like it's really served you well. Although you, you found yourself back where you truly love, which was running pre-sales teams. One thing I, I did want to ask you, uh, just listening to you, you talked about you quickly rose to the ranks. You basically found your groove. You found the thing you're really good at. What, what do you think made you so quickly uh, a candidate for leadership after being in the, in the field relatively recently? Well, I had been managing a consulting team. So when they um, kind of changed the strategy for services, you know, they put me in an individual contributor role. And I think, you know, the leadership team realized that I had leadership skills already and that I could continue to do that within the SE ranks. And I think one of the things that I've noticed is, um, and we've done a lot of that here actually at VMware, a lot of the SE leaders that we have within our ranks have come from other parts of the organization. And what it does is it brings that different perspective from the customer to the selling teams, right? So if you think about, for example, a business critical or a technical account manager, right? They have different names within the industry, a TAM or a customer success leader, right? Those are different acronyms that are used. That, that individual brings that post-sales adoption, how to manage, you know, truly critical issues to the selling to the selling teams right services makes you think about you know structure and projects and risk mitigation and management um, you know if you're 
a sale, actually, I've seen salespeople move into SC leadership as well. And that brings a whole completely different perspective. So I think having that diverse background of leadership is extremely important. If you truly want to get into, you know, this evolution of the SE role of what we really want the SE to become as the industry is, sh- is changing and shifting. So actually, let's talk about that evolution of the role because that's a that's a perfect segue. You know, generally, we're going to talk about unlocking the strategic potential of pre-sales. And you had mentioned to me earlier that you actually saw it in terms of like an SE version 2.0 and now an SE version 3.0. And maybe it's a great way to start the conversation by just asking about Kind of what you mean by that and what the difference is between the two. Yeah. So if you think about, um, you know, the history of, of the SE function within the software industry and how we sell, the SE traditionally came in to help solve the understanding of a product, right? You had a singular individual product that your customer was looking to understand the technical capabilities, right? What does this button do? These knobs and switches and whatnot. That was the SE's function, helping them understand those knobs and switches, But as software companies have grown, and actually I've seen this of a lot of hardware vendors as well, as their portfolios have grown, the conversation then became, how do we solve for the solution, right? How do we bring an an entire portfolio to the customer versus selling them just one product? So, you know, we would traditionally talk about cross-sell, upsell, but why don't we just talk about it from the beginning? So that initiated that journey of SE 2.0. Having the SE really talk about the entire solution of what the customer was trying to do, giving them that one throat to choke. To choke. And you, you'd hear, you know, the, the naming convention started to change from systems and sales engineers to solution consultants, solution engineers, right? So the industry started shaping kind of the the titling as well to evolve into that um, new notion. Now, if you think about it, customers now, especially as they're looking at going into this subscription-based model, really, they can now make a decision today. I'm no longer going to use your solution goodbye, right? It's no longer you're tied to a vendor and, oh my gosh, now I've got to migrate and now I've got to change platforms. That's no longer a big issue for a lot of customers. So this notion of continuing to sell the business value is a conversation that a lot of leaders are having in the technical ranks. Traditionally, SEs stayed out of the business discussion. They stayed out of the outcomes conversation. And I've I've started even seeing the conversation of, you know, how do we evolve into even some of the post-sales components of the customer journey? So this SE 3.0 now becomes, how do you drive business value differentiation for your customers, whether it be, you know, you're doing it during the actual selling cycle and helping them understand that top line or bottom line impact to the organization. And you're even talking to lines of businesses. You're no longer just talking to a technical buyer. There's also the notion of delivering the outcome and ROI discussion, which a lot of times we kind of gave that over to a value management office team or to the salesperson, you're starting to see a lot more value consultants becoming part of the pre-sales teams to have that end outcome conversation with customers. So that's where you're starting to see, you know, a lot of leaders talk about that. And, you know, we're part of, I'm part of different groups with leaderships from other company companies. And that's the discussion. How do I get my SEs 
to not just think about the technical components, but think about the outcomes and the end result for the customer, which at the end of the day leads into this continued expansion and renewal cycle that we want the SC to help drive. Boy, there's a lot to unpack there. But first of all, I, I think what you said was it was absolutely right. And I actually just want to touch on the very last thing you said, which is that if you're evolving and pushing the, the SE organization to think more in terms of the business and think about business outcomes. I think there's a lot of challenges that arise when you do that. But one of them is, what about for you as a leader? Like, how does that change the way you manage and run your team if they're not just telling people where to push the buttons or turn the knobs, but actually think about, you know, holistically what they're trying to get out of the process and what the outcome is going to be for them as a business. It comes down to what are you now teaching your SEs, right? Um, as a leader, we were we had the easy button with, oh, you just need to go get technical product enablement. Let's go send you get technical training, right? That conversation has now shifted. And the qu questions that I see from a lot of leaders coming is, what are the soft skills, the human skills that you all are teaching your SEs to learn these business skills? And now that's not just a challenge for SEs. That becomes a challenge for us as leaders that, you know, we grew up in the technical product days, right? That's what we used to do as, as sellers. It becomes now, how do we make sure that we're also thinking strategically in the conversations that you tend to have with your SEs around their forecasting and their technical outcomes with the customer becomes, well, what's the business value? What happens if they don't do it? What happens if they do do it, but they do it at a later date? What's the financial impact? And that's a question I ask a lot of my SEs these days is, okay, well, what happens if they don't do it? by the date that they said that they needed to get it done. And they're like, oh, well, you know, they, they just stay on their current platform. I'm like, that's not the question I'm asking. The question I'm asking is what's that financial pain point that they're going to feel if they don't get out of whatever solution they're trying to get out of? And then I bet you see the light bulb go off a little bit. That's a, that's a great example of coaching. In my past life, when I've gone to an SKO, they all gather, gather up the sales engineers and they put them into a room and they teach them about the new feature. You've told me about something else that you've done at an SKO and I'd just love to kind of hear more about it. Yeah. So um, when I first joined the company, um, there was a small group of what we called solution architects. So we have solution engineers and solution architects. And the solution architects wanted to put out there this notion of business outcomes because that's how they were selling um, because they were finding that they were having that conversation. They're a much smaller team and they wanted to scale it out to the SEs. And they were doing piecemeal training in one city, training in another city. I, I remember we were in our New Jersey office here and, um, you know, I said to them, I was like, why don't we use our sales kickoff to do this? And everyone's like, oh, no, 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 that's just not going to happen. The SEs will not want that. <laughs> and I said, but, but this is the right time, right? And we were also going through the whole system engineer to solution engineer naming convention change, right? We were thinking about changing the title at that period as well. And I said, we can make this a kickoff where we're launching the new title, right? Now you're all solution engineers, but the, it becomes a so what, right? So what? I'm a solution engineer. What's different in my job? Well, we trained them about the so what, right? We gave them um, three days worth of content training. It was, um, again, developed by our solution architect team where we basically gave them a role play. Um, so they had to meet with you know, a CIO, a CISO, a VP of infrastructure. Um, they went through discovery questions and then they had to present back. And the challenge was don't present a product 
right? Come to the presentation, but you're not allowed to talk about a product. And for SEs, that is so hard to do, right? Um, they had to put together the, you know, the business case, the overall outcomes, and kind of demonstrate. They got also ranked on their demonstration of the questions that they asked right during their discovery sessions. And I got to say, I, I know that some SEs were not happy with it, but a couple of years after the fact, you know, when I switched roles, I was meeting with someone. I was like, so, you know, what was the biggest impact that you saw from the chief of staff function? And, and, and he mentioned, you know, that that training that you all put on. It's like, I, I was not happy with it at first, but I now see why, you know, you all decided to do that. I, I felt that it was extremely important that we kind of up-level our skill and really start understanding kind of the business components of our customers' business needs and why they were coming to coming to VMware to buy from us. You're, we, when you talk about pushing the role of the SE more towards the business and more towards outcomes and more towards business value. Do you ever see any problems aligning with sales or even customer success, which you which you mentioned, as the SE starts to expand their role? Yeah, I think, you know, there's still the um, old school mentality of the SE does something that's very specific in a box. Uh, but that's, you know, that's changing as our customers' demands and needs are changing. You're finding that um, the partnership between the three team members that are, you know, heavily interacting with the customer has now become more of a partnership because our customer success team, I mean, we don't drop, we don't drop that engagement once a customer success team engages, right? We continue to maintain it during the adoption journey of the customer. And then, you know, as they continue to expand. So it becomes, how do you build the trust between that trio, that, that pod, um, so that they can continue to build long lasting relationships with the customer. So it just becomes this overall evolution, I think, of getting other team members to realize the value of, that the SE plays. Customer success, I think, recognizes that because a lot of them do have technical backgrounds and do understand kind of the functionality. Now it's become more of the salesperson seeing that long lasting value of having the SE building those relationships. It's not a, you know, come in and do a demo and leave. It's a come in and I need you to stay here throughout the rest of the ride with me and make sure that we're partnering closely um, with this customer. That actually raises a question, though, as a, from a leadership perspective, I wanted to ask you, because you we see a lot of what you just said, which is that pre-sales, because of the value they add, not only get pulled later in the sales cycle and maybe more are more wrapped up in the sales cycle, but they start to get pulled into post-sale a little bit too, because what they know and what they bring to the table from what they've experienced with the customer becomes super valuable to services and success. Uh, as a leader, do you worry about your team being having to play a part in so many aspects of the, of the pre and post-sale? Yeah, you know, I think um, that that is actually an ongoing question that I've been having as of late is what is what is the actual responsibility we have once we've sold the deal? You know, unofficially, SEs do tend to get involved in post-sales. You're probably familiar. They, they tend to get involved in support escalations, you know, services escalations, whatever escalation, the customer will come to the sales team. And most of the time, because it's a technical question, the SE tends to run with it. But, you know, it's about defining clear, clearly what exactly are the roles, the roles and responsibilities once that deal is closed, I don't know if I have the answer to that yet, right? We're still thinking about that. And, you know, I find that with a lot of different companies that I've talked to, they're also looking at that question and saying, do we do a hard shutoff once the deal closes and, you know, throw the ball over? Or is this a continuing soft transition? The question is to what point, you know, and, and I, I actually was just talking to 
a senior leader within our organization about this, it's there's there's a couple of areas, right? There's the, okay, now we've closed the deal, but now we need to do basic turn on of feature functionality so that we can claim adoption, right? Who owns that? Is that a CS? Is that an SE function? Then you have, okay, now I've, I've fully turned on, you know, our software. Now I need to start doing some basic, you know, transition into the software, whatever the software may be. Who owns that? Is that services? Is that CS? Is that SRE, right? Then the question becomes, okay, now that they've, they've you know, done those first two steps, who owns the day two operation transition? A lot of times we tend to think that's the customer, but does the customer really even know what day two ops means and how do they continue managing and, and continue to, to grow their current platform? Again, whatever whatever software it may be, how do they continue to use it, manage it, maintain it? The customer doesn't always know. How do we make sure that we're part of that day two onwards conversation? And, and again, I don't know that we've solved that as a profession. And I think it's a continuing conversation. It'll be interesting to see where this goes. And, and that might take us to, you know, SE 4.0. <laughs> How do you feel about your team's involvement in the uh, sales forecast? Do you think they have a role there? 100%. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, I believe that we um, have insights that sometimes the sales teams don't. And, you know, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. You know, the sales team will talk to the business decision makers and, um, you know, the decision makers think that they're further along in the process and they'll say, yeah, yeah, we're, we're ready to buy. And then two weeks later, that business decision making team has a conversation with their technical decision makers and the technical decision makers are like, no, no, we're not even done with the POC yet. <laughs> so the question becomes, well, how come we didn't have that conversation as a selling organization, right? Ourselves, like I get that on the customer side, they might have a disconnect. But on our side, you know, the rep will forecast that deal and we're still running with the POC, which we know will go well beyond the quarter close. Yeah. And then the deal doesn't come through. And then everyone's like, why didn't that deal come through? And then the SE will quietly raise their, their hand and say, oh, it's because we weren't done with the POC yet, right? So how do you mitigate that? How do you make sure that the SE is, is part of the forecast conversation. We have what we call a technical validation or solution validation process here. I'm seeing that also in a lot of different companies that they're looking to institute something similar. And it's it's a for us, it's a simple, complete red, yellow, green, right? And you know, I equate those two, you know, we lost it. <laughs> we, you know, we maybe it's probable, right? Maybe, or it's a forecasted deal, right? So the, the SE has that responsibility here in driving kind of that conversation. And now we're instituting is also a visibility layer to the sales leadership as well. If let's say a, a deal is being forecasted, the question should always be, okay, well, you're forecasting it on the sales side, but it's a complete yellow. Help me reconcile that risk, right? And then you can now have a risk conversation and really make a decision on whether or not that deal should truly be forecasted or not. So from an operational forecast, uh, sorry, from an operational standpoint, the red, yellow, green is looked at in tandem with the, with the official sales forecast and, the, and, and your sales leadership will bring that into the equation when they're looking to see what deals are going to close for the quarter? Correct. Anything else that you can think about in terms of, you, you touched on the partnership with, your, with, the, with the SE and the sales counterpart. Any other dimensions of that that you think are, are important or interesting when you think about the evolution of the pre-sales person? I think it starts with the leadership team, right? Making sure that the leaders are demonstrating that partnership 
And I've seen it work really well with certain teams where, you know, the sales leader and the SC leader, they are interchangeable. So for example, you know, on a forecast call with a senior leadership team, you'll have SE managers sit in on the forecast on behalf of the sales leader. That demonstrates to the SC team that they're truly business partners and they're part of the overall conversation. I think that's one big component of giving them that empowerment that we just talked about. Other things are, you know, just making sure that we're looking at, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about training on the soft skill and human skills aspect, but also, you know, looking at the roundabout technical training as well. I think the biggest complaint that you've probably heard of as well in the industry is SEs are tired of hearing the same training over and over again. They really (laughs) want to advance that content. The question becomes, how do you develop a, a continuous training plan that evolves along with the SE as opposed to a static, you know, one size fits all for the entire organization. Marjorie, it's such a pleasure talking to you. I, uh, I, I want to just close maybe with a lighter question. Do you have any particular plans for the upcoming Halloween holiday? You know, not not really. Um, uh, just trying to stay healthy, I guess, is really what we're planning on doing, you know, and trying to stay safe with uh, with the current situation. There is something to be said about a socially distanced Halloween. I don't think there's anything wrong. With right. <laughs> Marjorie, have a terrific Monday. Thanks so much for talking to us. Have a great rest of the week. Thank you. You too. Thank you.